final fight, combatants are fearsome and beautiful to behold, and Jordan does his best to get visually creative, but there's more drama in the training montage, possibly because it's the only place where his character feels vincible. You always hear the word invincible. I never realized vincible was actually a word, but apparently it is, <laughs> thanks to Matthew Lacona of San Diego Reader. I want to circle back to that blurb in just a second, but that is our new movie this week, Creed 3, open massive week at $58 million. Cody made a point last week, how do I get to see movies? And he was right this week, and it was hard. I was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My wife was not annoyed, but kind of like, you're going to go see this movie? I'm like, it's kind of my job. It's, it's, it's the number one movie in the theaters. I can't not talk Creed 3. So snuck out last night, like a 9 o'clock movie. Let's let's get into the buzzer, Ooh, and we're good Sunday to go. night. Was it empty? Yeah, and I was worried, because I, I don't know about you, man, but once you have kids, we fall asleep at odd times, right? You used to be up till 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Now I'm like, I might start to fall asleep around 11.30. So I, I had to make sure I had a little Diet Coke. I'm like, I was good to go. I got home, put to bed. But it was an excellent film. Spoiler alert. We're going to talk Creed 3 in just a second. Plus a boxing movie. I was fired up Sunday night. I wanted to go fight somebody. Um, speaking of fighting, one of the great Westerns of all time, I got sucked into The Wild Bunch. It was on TCM this week. My buddy Ben Mankwitz was airing it. TCM right now, Turner Classic Movies, every movie they air this month was nominated at least for one Oscar. And next year is the 55th anniversary of The Wild Bunch. I thought by being clever... I would tell Chris, hey, I don't, you're probably not going to watch this movie, but your dad will definitely know The Wild Bunch. If you say to Greg Cody, Adnan's talking about The Wild Bunch, he's going to want to jump in. What was his reaction? I texted him. I was like, Dad, we're doing The Wild Bunch. I assumed he knew. I played, I just was like, if Adnan thinks he's seen it, my dad's old, he's probably seen it. <laughs> he's like, I've heard of it. Very popular in my time. I, th I thought Mar Marlon Brando was in it. <laughs> and it's just like, Dad, I. Uh... We love this Greg is a classic Cody. Cody. Nice. You know how I bring it on this show? Yeah. It's, it, it's in true Cody fashion right there. <laughs> we love Greg, but that's a mess. Marlon Brando was not in the Wild Bunch, but he's right. It was very popular, and because he's old, I knew he would know it, and it's a great film. Uh, honestly, it's one of the greatest Westerns ever. I'm going to talk about it. I've also got some funny factors, which I know Chris will appreciate. More importantly, it's the Oscars in less than a week. It's this Sunday. We're going to go through every single category. Cody knows this a year ago. I tried to get clever. Rather than go by the odds, I kind of went with hunch and feel, and I didn't do as well as I should have. So this year, I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to go chalk. Cody has sent me a lot of the, the rankings. I feel pretty confident most of these picks. But I'm going to tell you, here's the wrinkle here in Cinephile. Here's what's going to win. But more importantly, here's what I think should win. Because everyone's got an opinion, right? So I'm going to tell you what I think should win. But again, I know we have a big gambling fan base. We love FanDuel, DraftKings, all good. We're going to talk about the, the betting favorites as well. Uh, let's and you know, I, just to tease a little bit, Yeah. me, the kid, already got a few Oscar bets in. So I can let you know what I got. DraftKings forever, baby. We, we are crushing it here when it comes to the Oscar odds. We'll get Cody's odds as well. Uh, we do begin on a somber note. Tom Sizemore passed away, 61 years of age. Sad story to hear. Sizemore, one of those actors, I mean, he really had some, you know, iconic films he was a part of, most notably Heat. Yeah, I always think about when a guy passes away, and especially now on social media, everybody's tweeting that clip, that incredible scene, where it's him and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer and Danny Trejo, and De Niro is advising his character, uh, to not be involved with this heist. He's like, you know what? If I was you, I can't remember his wife's name, Eleanor, whatever. She got plenty of money packed away. You're good to go. Like, I would just, you got bonds, you're good. And the way that he gives that pregnant pause, there's about like six eye blinks from Tom Sizemore. He looks around, really milks the moment. He goes, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Like, just a great, like, <laughs> like that's one of those like, galvanizing moments. If you just watch it, like, yeah, they're going to rob the bank. Let's go. And of course, Trejo's got the great reaction. Tadira turns to him, and goes, yeah, sure, I'm in. Um, that was the clip people were pouring out there. Obviously, 
as Michael Chiritos, he's, he's fantastic in heat. But Sizemore, I, I mean, I love Natural Born Killers. I've talked about it here on the podcast. I think it's a brilliant movie by Oliver Stone. Sizemore is amazing in that movie. Gung-ho, as he's sitching for uh, Mickey and Mallory, Woody Harrelson, and Juliette Lewis's character. He's in Saving Private Ryan, which is, again, one of Spielberg's best yep. films, 1998. So, uh, sad loss. It, one thing you know about Tom Sizemore, had a lot of issues, as I like to say, off the field. Substance abuse issues many a time. Uh, definitely was in and out of uh, rehab for much of his life. So I, I don't know the specifics of it. I just saw the last weekend that, that Tom Sizemore had passed away at the age of 61. So that's a tough loss. If this guy worked movies. a lot, man. I'm like, I'm just scrolling through his IMDb like every year, like just multiple, multiple roles. Yeah, he, he really was rolling. And then recently, I don't think he was nearly as prolific. Or maybe you're right. Maybe he was doing he was doing a lot of movies, just stuff I have not seen, more like kind of right. B movies and, and less um, high-profile stuff. But certainly late 90s and early 2000s, Tom Sizemore was a terrific actor, and definitely his loss will be felt. Uh, maybe I'll watch Heat in his honor in the next week or so. Also, my buddy George Rustic, I do weekly hits on Calgary Radio there in Fan 960. He had said to me a few months ago, he goes, hey, bet the house on this. I go, okay. He's a big gambling guy. He goes, bet the house on this. I go, all right. He goes, Oscars. I'm like, yeah. He goes, Chris Rock and Will Smith are going to come out together and present an award together. And I said, okay. He goes, bro, it is a made-for-TV moment. You know the way that Rock has handled this, that he does not want to go back at Will Smith. If he did, he would have already done it. It's been made-for-TV. And then I just saw, and I go, pretty good idea, George. And I just saw this last week, Chris Rock's live stream on Netflix where he annihilated Will Smith. So guess what? That will not be happening. I do not think they're going to be at the Oscars this Sunday, hand-in-hand, singing Kumbaya. I was a good pick by George. But, Cody, your reaction to Chris Rock, he finally answered back to Will Smith. I thought one of his best comments was this. He's like, listen, his wife screwed on the guy, his son's friend. Everyone crushed this dude on every show, and I reached out to him. He did not reach out to me. Everyone else called him a bitch, and he slaps me? Like, that's how this goes? Chris Rock firing back at Will. A lot of people on Levitard's show earlier were being critical of it. I didn't find it... I found the comedy before he got to the Will Smith stuff just good, fine. I wasn't overly critical, didn't think it was great. I was like, yeah, this, is, this sounds like Chris Rock doing comedy. The Will Smith stuff, clearly he's very emotional about it still. It made me. It just made me sad, honestly. Yeah. Like the anger in it, the the putting all the, like I know Will and Jada put it all out there, but just the dunking on them. They ended up obviously taking a big L. Like that can't feel good for them. It just all like I kind of get that he deserves to have this night. Like Chris Rock, after getting slapped the way he did, he deserves to just let it all out how he wants to do it. But it all just made me sad. That's an interesting viewpoint. My buddy Randall had said that here on the podcast as well. He goes, these are like two great black icon entertainers and to see them have this public kind of a spat it's just sad it's just unfortunate because i like a lot of will smith movies i mean if you prior to that night i was cheering for him to win for king richard and after that moment i was very critical of him i was very disappointed i thought his behavior was disgusting i hated his oscar speech i thought it was self-absorbed and and all the rest of it and chris rock i love of course his stand-up is so special and memorable and he's given us lots of great acting roles to see these two guys have that kind of public spat it's tough but I can appreciate, as you said, where Rock is coming from. You got yeah. to have your moment. You slapped me. You insulted me. Yes, it'd be nice if I could turn the other cheek, but like I'm not there yet. Like This was horrible yeah. what you did to me. So I have to clap back a little bit. I'm going to throw a few shots at you, and then maybe we'll figure it out. Because Smith publicly apologized, but they haven't had their moment. It's, it's, it's like Van Pelt once told me with Twitter. I said, you know, Mike Greenberg said, never punch down. He goes, you know, you're Adnan Burke. You're someone of substance. Why do you care what some guy with an egg for a logo has 12 followers says about you? But Van Pelt said to me, no, no, if they get to fire at you, I get to fire back. That doesn't yeah. mean I have, but no, no, you fired at me, I get to fire back now. So you're going to take a shot at me, I take a shot at Why do I have to be the bigger man? I'm like, yeah. It never feels good, though. No. I, I, I'm somebody who very rarely, because I get, like, you know, nepotism, sure. you know, fat Chris. Like, I, people say some shit to me sometimes. I'm not saying it's bad, but I get it. 
and I very rarely get triggered by it and actually like, even if I feel like, oh man, I just, I gave, I, I said something clever back to them and, but I, I always am just like, it doesn't feel good though. Like, I, it, I don't know. It just, it's just not worth it to me. I always think back after and just be like, I shouldn't have tweeted that. No, I'm with you because I get sucked into it. If I throw one back, then they go again. I go, now I'm going to do this all day. It's not worth it. And I'm going to get mean. I'm going to say yeah. something I shouldn't say. By the way, I, and I'm with you on this. Our boy Roy completely disagrees with this. Roy just claps oh. back all day. He loves it. Like, are you kidding? Roy, you've got family. There's, there's no way. He's busy with his daughter. How does he have time to clap back? Roy's a, we could do a documentary. Or Twitter Roy could be a documentary. Exactly. It's so unlike the Roy that I know. I, I don't know him particularly well, but like Roy's like a great guy. Like Roy Bellamy's just a solid, good dude, great job, loves Better Call Saul. I'm like, yeah. And then he's, and then you see his tweets. He's like, yeah, your mama. Your mama said this. I'm like, Jay, Roy, we don't need to do this. Like, we don't need to go back to your mama jokes. <laughs> Classic Roy. <laughs> to hey, each, each own. their own. Yeah, to each their own. Anyways, let's dive into some movies, shall we? Uh, good for Chris Rock. Again, we're going to talk Oscar stuff. Hopefully, we'll not see a slap like last year at this year's Academy Awards. Creed Three, snuck out on a Sunday night, had to go see it, and let me tell you something, terrific movie. I, I had low expectations going in. I said, okay, another boxing movie. It's amazing to think there's now been like eight different spawns of the original Rocky, which was 1976. If you add up all the Rocky sequels, now the Creeds as well, like how much more can you get out of this engine? And yet, I really enjoyed it. First shock was my buddy Trent, uh, Todd Grisham. Well, I almost said Trent Grisham, the Padre. Todd Grisham, <laughs> who I work with at uh, ESPN and now DAZN, Five minutes of the movie, I'm like, that's my buddy. Like, big DAZN signage, and it starts up with Creed fighting. And it's not just his voice. You see him, and he's like, hey, Todd Grisham, you're alongside Jessica McCaskill. I'm like, oh, my God, I worked with both of them until a year ago. I was, I was employees of DAZN. These are my colleagues. You and text them? I did. I was like, bro, this is, I go, I had no idea. And it wasn't even like, I, it wasn't even like just voice only. You said, you got to say your name. It's like Jim Lampley, like Bob Cossett, Todd Grisham. Here with Jessica McCaskill. Like he's in, he's in the last fight as well. I go, this is incredible. He goes, I better get five Maple Leafs. I go, I don't I don't go to five Maple Leafs. I go to four. I'll give you five Maple Leafs. First and foremost, good fight sequence out of the gate. And Michael B. Jordan, as Adonis Creed is retiring. One last fight, I'm good to go. You then see his very opulent lifestyle. You know, beautiful wife, Tessa Thompson. A daughter, a little bit of a wrinkle. She's deaf. He's using sign language with her. Okay, so he's got a little bit of issues here in his life. Some stuff he's working through. Runs the gym. Now it's all about the next thing, right? With these movies, it's always, okay, he's the champ. Who Who's going to be the next big thing? It's either somebody's father, somebody's kid, whatever. And then you get a terrific scene very early on where Jonathan Major shows up. These two guys. And this is one of the reasons why Creed Three is so good. With a lot of these Marvel movies, it's not that they're bad actors. It's just you can tell they've done better work. Like Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. I'm like, this is not their best work in Ant-Man. But you can watch <laughs> Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors and go, hey, man, one day these guys are going to win Oscars. Like, these guys are both legitimately great actors. And this is more of a popular film, obviously, be coming out, maybe like $58 million, as I said, out of the gate. But, like, these are legit good actors. Michael B. Jordan, Fruitvale Station, made his name an independent film. Jonathan Majors, the great uh, uh, last black man in San Francisco. Terrific movie. He's now, by the way, getting paid. It's so interesting to me, too, because I see these actors. I remember them when. Like, I, I remember them when. Like, Jennifer Lawrence, I remember her from Winter's Bone. Young teenage actress, and then she becomes this huge sensation with X-Men. Michael B. Jordan, I'm like, no, I remember him long before Creed, a little independent film called Fruitville Station. And Jonathan Majors, he signed up to be Kong the Conqueror. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, in the MCU universe. This man, for the next four years, is going to be making Marvel movies. He's going to have more money he could dream of. And I'm like, once he's done with that, he's going to go win an Oscar and do some other stuff because he has such a great presence about him. So Adonis sees him, and he goes, you don't remember me. He's like, no. Kind of gives him a look, a wary glance. Like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, my God, Damien. He's like, yeah. And right away, you can tell, all right, I already know he's going to be the antagonist because Jonathan Majors is a great actor. He's not just showing up for a minor role. But what history do they have? Hey, man, haven't seen you in a long time. I've been gone to prison 18 years. 
okay, so there's definitely some cliches to work through. Like, immediately I'm like, okay, something happened where Adonis screwed him over. Now, all of a sudden, it's payback. He's welcoming him back into his family. Hey, man, come over to the crib. Let, let's see my family. All right. Uh, he's like, hey, you never never wrote to me, huh? When I was in prison 18 years, you never, never got my letters? He's like, no, I... I no, I sent it to your mom. Okay, well, none of that. And the mom gets involved. Why didn't the mom involve these letters? So there's there's definitely some intrigue to it. Felicia Rashad, by the way, from The Cosby Show, playing Adonis's mom. So she tells him why she didn't pass along the letters he got from etc. So you get this little duel, right? They're both they're kind of like sharks circling each other. B. Jordan's the champ, or at least was. Now this guy's coming in. Now what do you want? You know, imagine someone comes back in your life 18 years later, and you know something went down. Some some shady stuff went down. This guy went to prison. Now he's back in your life. What do you need? Uh, I want a title shot. Wait, 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 what? Yeah, I want a title <laughs> shot. We used to box together. This is where the film stretches credibility. Because, again, as sports guys, we'd be like, all right, so this guy has, n- has not boxed. He went to prison 18 years, and all of a sudden he gets a title shot. I'm like, wait, no, no, no. Like, you, you got to have, like, at least a montage of, like, a couple of fights against a couple of You got to Jake Paul it. At least fight Nate Robinson or something. Correct. He said, no, no, uh, because clearly Adonis has some relationship with him, a lot of guilt over what happened. Don't worry, bro. I'll get you a title shot. So he gets a title shot. His first fight is a title shot against Felix Chavez in the film played by Jose Benavides. And guess what? He wins. So this guy is out of prison. He's buddies with Creed, beats this dude, and all of a sudden I'm like, yes, I'm the champ. All right. And of course, you already know where this is going. What is the backstory? What happened with these two? And they've got a score to settle, and that score will be settled in the finale of Creed. What is also notable, Stephen A. Smith getting plenty of love. I mean, when, when Adonis Creed shows up on first take, no Molly. I'm like, Molly did not make the cut. No of these other analysts. It's just Stephen A. As if Stephen <laughs> A. is hosting first take solo. Again, as a sports guy, I'm like, well, that's not just his show. It's not like quite frankly. But it's just him in the first thing. He's, yo, Adonis Creed, good to see you, man. How you been? Yeah, okay. Talk to me about Damian Anderson. What is he saying about you? What is he going to be coming back at you with? You have been the champion, but aren't you going to go back in that ring? Boxers can never stay away. You know that as well as I do. What do you got? He starts going on with all that kind of stuff. So anyways, shout out to Stephen A. Again, you know where the story is going, but the key has to be how the story is told. And these two guys are both excellent actors. And Michael B. Jordan is also pulling double duty. He directed this. So yeah. he's not only the star of the film, he's directing it. I thought he directed it with a lot of humility. I'll explain that. As a director, sometimes you can kind of fall in love with yourself, right? And make yourself look so great in vanity. And by the way, he looks unbelievable. The guy's got an eight-pack. He's obviously in incredible shape. But he gives a lot of great screen time to Jonathan Majors. Like He lets his opponents shine as well, which is the mark, I think, of humility, not only as a coaster, but also as a director. This great blurb here from Stephen D. Gradianos. This is excellent. With his unnervingly nonchalant gaze and jaw jutting forward, Majors radiates hidden, explosive danger, and his formidably brawny physique makes an understatement of Dame's boast to have kept him shape in prison. This is another issue as well. As Chris and I know, in boxing, it all goes by weight class. I'm like, there's no way these two guys are in the same weight class. Jonathan Majors looks massive. I'm like, this guy's like Tyson Fury. He's like 275, bulked up. Michael B. Jordan is like a slim, like maybe a middleweight. I'm like, there's no way these yeah. guys are like, I wanted to hear, I'm like, hey, when are they going to announce what weight class these guys are fighting? Because this guy's gigantic. It, it almost feels like at times, like Drago versus Rocky. Like, there's no, in what world is Drago and Rocky Balboa in the same weight class? But, I still will, will go with it because these actors are so good. Sarah Michelle Fetters, Majors dominates, prowling through each scene as if he were a sly, observationally carnivorous velociraptor, craftily stalking its prey. I couldn't take my eyes off him. I couldn't agree more. Jonathan Majors is an absolute star, and in many ways, he's the best part of Creed Three. Now, the downside is this. Once you get to what you know you're going to get, 
the movie to me took a downturn. Once I got to the training montage, I go, okay, here we go again. And once I got to the final fight, I go, okay, here we go again. Now, now it's going to get to that level of predictability. But I thought before then, there was a few zags, a few turns that I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought it was an interesting commentary what happens to guys when they become stars, become washed up. What's it like when your past tries to intercede upon you, dealing with that guilt, searching for that redemption. And ultimately, I thought Michael B. Jordan did a very good job as a director. So Creed 3, I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs, despite a couple of uh, reservations with it. I thought it was a very good film. All right, that is Creed 3. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk to the Wild Bunch and also do some Oscar predictions. Every single category. We're going to make you money here on Cinephile. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, as promised, we're going to make you money here. We're going to talk to Wild Bunch in just a second as our old movie, but our wild card is indeed the Oscar. So best picture odds. We won't have to go through all the numbers here, but Chris has given me the latest odds here. Everything, ever, all at once is going to win. Okay, let's be honest. It's won everything so far as far as all the major categories. Won the Producers Guild Award, which is a big indicator of success. It won the SAG Awards Best Ensemble. I know it's a little bit weird for some, the butt plug scene. we got definitely some flying dildos going on here. But listen, the Academy has rewarded weird movies before. It wins Best Picture. Again, you're looking for an upset. Uh, right now on the board, the Banshees of Inner Sharon would be a potential upset. I would say all quiet in the Western Front. If I was going to lay down a little money on Underdog, hey, maybe you go that route, but I, I really cannot see it. I feel very confident saying it's going to be everything, ever all at once. And I'll also say this, my pick would be, again, what will win, what should win, I would vote for the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Apologies to Stan Van Gundy who hated it, but I loved it. I would put it as Best Picture. Everything, everywhere is going to win. I have four bets put in, and one of them is best picture. I'm going. I'm not. I'm not going chalk here, guys. I okay. I, I didn't want to go with. The, so I went with. I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm going through Adnan. I'm going with the Banshees. Twenty five bucks to win one thirty seven. Nice. That's pretty good, dude. It, mm-hmm. it could happen. I thought you might go Top Gun Maverick. Say why not? Popular film, but it's a reach at best picture. It's not gonna happen. No. I don't want to. I, I, I can't celebrate when I know your head would be exploding. <laughs> so that that wouldn't. That, that that's friendship. That. Uh, best actor. 
Brendan Fraser right now, I think, is going to win. He won the SAG Award for Best Actor. He's at minus 180. But watch out for Austin Butler. Plus 120 for Elvis. He won the Golden Globe Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Also won the BAFTA Award for Best Actor. That's a British Academy Award. So, again, I think it's Frazier. It's a great story. I think Farrell has definitely dropped off. I thought it was a three-horse race. Colin Farrell is not going to win. It's either Frazier or Butler. I'll go with Frazier. Here's the reservations. The Whale, not a lot of people saw. I mean, it's not a particularly popular film. I, the box office is maybe $12 million. Elvis is a $100 million movie. Like, people saw Elvis. People love Elvis. People love musical biopics. Like, the, the, the Oscars historically loves when you play real characters. The Whale is not a real character. Frazier is, is it's based on a play by Samuel D. Hunter. So I could see Butler going up there and shimmying and shaking, and all of a sudden... You know, all of a sudden he wins an Oscar for Elvis. But I will go with Frazier, and I believe he should win as well. It was one of my favorite films of the year. I have the will at number six. I'm going with Frazier. Will win and should win, but watch out for Butler. Cody. I'm going with Colin Farrell. You've been saying it from the beginning. I know wow. that all the recent awards have kind of taken him out of the hot, the, but I just think it, it paid decent of all those three options. So yeah. I was like, ah, if, if I'm going to go with one of these three, I don't, I'm going to go with the one that pays the best. Okay, reason he might win then, Banshees is a really well-liked film. It's up for Best Picture, unlike The Whale. He's a well-respected actor. I think he's almost 50. He's been acting for like 20 years. So this does feel like a Lifetime Achievement Award. He's certainly, I think, been in more notable films as far as ones the Oscars would like than Frasier. So two good stories there. Frasier, comeback story. Butler, young guy. Farrell's been a, a hard-working, serviceable worker. He's in action movies and dramas. So I, I like your thought process. He's not going to yeah. win. Maybe Farrell. Best actress. This one's great. Neck and neck. Michelle Yeoh. Everything all at once. Or Kate Blanchett for Tar. I may be just pushing this because I've been on the anti-tar train, but I'm going to go with Michelle Yeoh. Here's why. She won the SAG, again, for Best Actress by an Actress. But Kate Blanchett's won almost everything else. I mean, she won the BAFTA. She won the Golden Globe. Again, I think she's really well-liked by the Academy. That's important. Fellow actors love Kate Blanchett. I don't think they're, you know, Michelle Yeoh is, Again, she's got her faction of people. There's this group that's like, oh, my God, Asian cinema. Michelle Yeoh is 60 years old. She was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But a lot of people love Kate Blanchett. And ultimately, this does come down to a popularity contest. But I'm going to go with Michelle Yeoh to win. That may just be me saying I don't want to have to talk about Tar winning Best Actress for Kate Blanchett. I'm going to go with Yeoh, but those are both good value picks. Yeoh is at minus 125, Blanchett at minus 115. Cody. I'm going with the long shot. You sold me on Riseboro. Yes! Yes, I was about to say. So heads would explode on this one. Riseboro's at plus twenty nine hundred. It's it's shocking she even got the nomination. But to your point, well, if it's if if you can get to the dance, if you can get that nomination, then why can't you win? Nobody thought she got nominated because everyone said, well, everyone's going to vote for Danielle Deadwater for Till, Viola Davis for Woman King. So maybe the same thing happens with the winner. They go, everyone's voting for Yoan Blanchett. I want to see Riseboro win. And what if she gets enough votes to win? That would be unbelievable. She's at- you see, she's at plus 2,900 now. Man, I locked her in t- like a week ago, and she was less than that, so I should have waited. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's third right now. She's ahead of Michelle Williams and Anna Diarmas, which is one of the worst nominations of the year for the film you and I both <laughs> criticized for Blonde. But Riseboro, I love it. Because, dude, that would pay out. I mean, that would be probably the biggest upset in the Oscar history. Like, the, the, nobody saw the movie. She somehow gets nominated, begins this whole Oscars controversy, and then she wins. Like, holy smokes. Kate Blanchett, she's already won twice. That hurts her case. And Michelle Yeoh, maybe people say, well, the film's going to win Best Picture. Why should she win? I'll vote for Riseboro. Hardworking actress, little indie movie. I like where your head's at. Best original All I got to do is hit, like, one of these, and I make all my money back. Like, that's Correct. how I'm kind of playing this. Like, just give me don't just don't give me all chalk, and I should yes. hit something here. Exactly. Everyone can do that. Best original screenplay. Everything, everywhere, all at once, minus 150. Banshees is at plus 100. This is really tough. Because for a lot of these categories, to foreshadow, I have everything ever all at once winning. I think it wins picture. We're going to get to director in a second. Screenplay. Best actress. Supporting actor. Pretty rare you pull that off. Somebody can correct me on this. Sons of the Lambs, rare film that pulled off the trifecta. 
of Best Picture, Director, Actor for Hopkins, Actress for Jodie Foster, and Screenplay. Now, this is not going to win Best Actor, of course. It's not nominated in that category, but pretty tough. Everything can win all those categories. So I think it should be the Banshees of Inish Sharon, and I think it will be. So that's where I'm, I'm kind of taking a little risk. The favorite right now is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It won the WGA, which is the Writers Guild Award. To me, that probably leans in that direction. But I think enough people go, you know what? It's going to win picture. It's going to win director. It's going to win actress. It's going to win supporting actor. Let's give this one to the Irish folks. Kenneth Branagh won last year for Belfast. Don't recall that was the one Oscar win, speaking of Irish movies. So I'm going to go Banshees here for original screenplay. Martin McDonough, very well liked. He did three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'll go with a slight upset there. My last bet is Best Director, so I don't have anything until then. Okay, no problem. So we're going to go, I'll skip down to Best Director. So Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner, everything all, ever, all at once, minus 1,800. Spielberg's at plus 850, <laughs> second best pick. It's, it's going to be the Daniels, as they are known. I be, looked up the numbers. I believe in the 71 years of the Directors Guild of America, only nine times has the Best Director Oscar winner not been the Guild winner. So of all those guilds, Writers Guild, Screen Actors Guild, Producers Guild, the one that is the best predictor of Oscar success is directors, and these guys won. So it's going to be the Daniels. The only okay. shot would be Spielberg if you said to yourself, well, he hasn't won in like 25 years. It'd be his third Oscar. He's one of our all-time greats. But people didn't love the fable ones. People love everything all at once, everywhere all at once. It's just – and it's a, it's a hell of a movie. I mean, if you watch it, directorially speaking, there's like a thousand edits. There's a lot going on. I'm going with the Daniels for director. Who do you got? Yeah, I couldn't take the big favorite because that just wouldn't pay. So I, uh, I went with Spielberg. All right. Why not? Maybe Spielberg yeah. gets his third Oscar here for director. All right. So I might go 0 and 4. That'll stink. No, that's not good. Wait, you didn't do supporting actor, supporting actress? No, I, I did best picture, Banshees, best actor, Colin, best actress, Riseboro, and best director, Spielberg. Okay, I'm going to talk into spending some more money when we get to the supporting actors in a second. Adapted screenplay. I feel very confident this one. Women talking. It's the favorite. It's going to win. Women talking up for best picture. And Best Screenplay, only two nominees it got. And Women Talking, Sarah Polly, noted Canadian actress. They love when actors do something else, meaning Affleck and Damon are actors, but they won the Oscar for what? Screenplay for Goodwill Hunting. So Sarah Polly is an actor, then became a director, also wrote the script. Let's give her an Oscar because she is a multi-hyphenate. She does a bunch of different things. Bam. That's our one Oscar for Women Talking. I think it's going to win Adapted Screenplay. I think... I don't think it should win, to be honest with you. This is a pretty weak category. All Quiet on the Western Front is great, directorially speaking. I don't think the script is great. Glass and the Knives Out Mystery, I'm not as high on these as other people. Top Gun Maverick, you all know my thoughts there. And Living, which I thought was a pretty piss-poor adaptation of the great Kurosawa film, especially when it's very hard to compare it to that. So, to be honest, I'm not even going to give you what should win. I think what will win is women talking. I don't even know what should win. I don't think any of these five nominees was particularly strong in terms of uh, scripts were concerned. All right, supporting actors, supporting actress. I'll try to get Cody to spend some money again. This one you definitely cannot do because you're right. It's an overwhelming favorite. Bet the house on this. When someone says, hey, one category that's definitely going to win, Ki Huy Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once, minus 2,000. If, <laughs> if there's an upset, and there's not going to be. Barry Coggan, Banshees of Inish Sharon, plus 1,400. Brendan Gleeson, Banshees, plus 1,800. My pick, who should win? Brendan Gleeson. I thought he was fabulous in The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Loved him in Gangs of New York. Terrific character actor for a lot of years. I would vote for him personally. Judd Hirsch getting in there is great. Again, when my dad immigrated to Canada, a lot of people thought he looked like Judd Hirsch. I've always liked Judd Hirsch for that reason, the Fable ones. He's at plus 3,400. Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, plus 4,200. No shot. Honored to be nominated. He's not going to win. It's going to be Keith Huy Kwan. Again, if I could, I'd vote for Gleason. Best Supporting Actress. This is where it gets interesting, and this is where I want to put, you, put some money down. So Angela Bassett is the favorite to win. 
for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She'd be the first actress to ever win an acting Oscar for a Marvel movie. Well-respected actress, terrific, still beautiful as ever, didn't win for What's Love Got to Do With It, was nominated as Tina Turner. So this is her moment, right? Lifetime Achievement Award. But Carrie Connon's done well as far as winning some other awards, including the BAFTA Award. She's at plus 175. Bassett's at plus 130. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a few bucks on Jamie Lee Curtis. Everything, everywhere, all at once, she's at plus 165. Because she won the SAG Award. Now, as I said last week, the SAG Awards generally, actor, actress, supporting actress, supporting actress, of those four, generally three win Oscars. So if you go by our thought process that it's going to be Frazier, and it's going to be Yo, and it's going to be Quan, well, then this fourth one could be a risk. You're saying, well, then it's not going to be Jamie Lee Curtis. But sometimes it does go four for four. So if you want to put some money, it's very tight in the gambling-wise. Again, But Yo might not win. Correct. So Yo might not win actress. So Quan's definitely going to win supporting actor. So maybe they go, you know what? Let's give everything everyone wants more. And again, what did I say with Angela Bassett? Hardworking, well-respected actress. What's Jamie Lee Curtis? Hardworking, well-respected actress, 30-plus years in the business. We're going back to trading places in like 83. So if you're going in that idea of we want to reward someone for longevity, well, maybe it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Again, <laughs> Bassett plus 130, Jamie Lee Curtis plus 165, Condon plus 175. Very tough race. If I had to vote of those, you know, I'd vote for Hong Chow. She has no chance of winning. Plus 3,400. I loved her. Loved her in The Whale. I think she's a great actress. I would vote for Hong Chow. Who do I think it's going to be? Okay, I'm going to go with Angela Bassett. But I'm going to tell Cody to put some money down on Jamie Lee Curtis. I, I would not be surprised. Supporting actress always gets weird, man. Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny, she was the lowest odds of the five, and she won. When Jack Palance said her name, people thought he read the wrong name. They're like, yeah, that can't be right. No, Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny just won an Oscar. Like, holy smokes. So supporting actress is definitely where things get a little bit murky. All right, let's fly through the rest of these. Animated feature, Pinocchio. It's going to win. Minus 2,000. Marcel the Shell with the shoes on. I put that movie in a body bag. That's not going to win. It's plus 1,300. If I had to pick, and of course, as you know, with young kids, I've seen all these, I'd probably go with Turning Red. I thought it was great. But pretty tough to see a movie about a girl going through puberty and make it funny and entertaining and dramatic. Set in Toronto, I thought it was excellent. Turning Red is my pick there. Puss in Boots, plus 1,800. Best international feature, again, lock it up. All Quiet on the Western Front, minus 4,000. Heavy favorite. <laughs> to win a hundred dollars, you have to put four thousand dollars. Yeah, to like win a hundred. That's crazy. Thank you, because you're right. Some of these numbers people don't understand. That's right. A hundred to four thousand to win a hundred. It's insane. If it's minus, it's that's what you have to risk to win a hundred. If it's plus, that's what you win if you bet a hundred. Good clarifier. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, of these five nominees, by the way, I haven't talked with the quiet girl. I'll do that next week. Terrific movie. That would have the next best chance of winning. That's at plus one thousand. Irish movie. Really beautifully done. Very sweet. Very sad. We'll talk about that next week. But Quiet Girl would have a chance at an upside. It's going to be all quiet in the Western front. And to be honest with you, it probably should. The worst of these nominees, the one I didn't like, is Close. That has the lowest odds of winning, plus 3,500. The donkey movie, EO, is at plus 1,600. <laughs> That's got the fourth best odds. Imagine a donkey wins. Best international feature. It is not going to happen. Best documentary. So this is tricky. I've been telling people all along, all the beauty and the bloodshed is the favorite. But I looked at these numbers. I'm surprised. It's now Navalny. And what does the Oscars love? Political statements. What's been happening last year? One-year anniversary now of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Putin heavily criticized. Who's Putin's opponent? Navalny. If you have not seen the documentary, he was Putin's most vocal and uh, vociferous opponent. And so it's not only an excellent documentary, it's own merit, but you got to think when they're voting, they want to make a statement sometimes. You do that with documentaries. Michael Moore wins, right? Bowling for Columbine. Let's talk about gun violence. People want to make a statement sometimes at the Oscars. So Navalny is the favorite to win, and I do believe it will win. I, 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 it's tricky because Fire of Love, Chris and I both saw it. 
I think Jessica liked it too. I put it in my top yeah. 10. That's the one I think should win, if I'm being honest. I love Fire of Love. Volcanologist, are you kidding? And I, I'm telling you, all the beauty in the bloodshed, I still think it's got a really good chance because it's human interest story. Laura Pytris did it. She won an Oscar previously for documentary. But Navalny, Russia, politics, feels like that's the one. All that breeze, plus 2,700. A house made of splinters at plus 3,400. Let's pick it up. Best visual effects. Avatar, done. Minus 1050. What should win? Yeah, it's not Top Gun. Black Panther, Wakanda forever. All quiet in the Western Front. I'll go with the Batman. If I had to pick for visual effects, I'd go with the Batman. That's some good action sequences. Best sound. Sadly, Top Gun Maverick will win an Oscar. It is the favorite at minus 400. I'm hoping, though, it's going to be All Quiet in the Western Front. What should win should be All Quiet in the Western Front, but it's going to be Top Gun Maverick. The sound, pretty good sound. Elvis, by the way, plus 2300. Speaking of good sound, all kidding aside, he had to mix Elvis's music along with Austin Butler. So that's pretty good as far as the tricky modulation of those two guys. Cinematography, lock. All quiet in the Western Front. Minus 410. Elvis at plus 500. My man Roger Deakins, you know my favorite cinematographer. He's up for Empire of Light, plus 1,300. Would love to see it. It's not going to be Tar. It's not going to be Bardo, False Chronicle, The Handful of Truths. Rare nomination there for Inaritu's film. It's going to be all quiet in the Western Front. But watch out for Elvis. Costume design. Black Panther is going to win an Oscar. If it's not Wait, Angela did Bassett, you just predict something that's plus 1,300 is going to win? No, I'm saying I love Roger Deakins for plus 1,300. Okay. He's not going to win, but I love him. Okay. But he's not going to win. It's going to be all quiet in the Western Front. <laughs> uh, best costume design. Black Panther, Wakanda forever. If Angela Bassett wins, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, they're going to win for costume design. I think I've spoken before about Ruthie Carter, legend. Elvis at plus 110. So if it's not Black Panther, it's going to be Elvis. And I personally had a vote. I'd vote for Elvis. I had great costumes in that movie. I mean, that's iconic era that we're able to get all those Elvis costumes going. Babylon also nominated, by the way. Not going to win. Best original score. This is tricky. Babylon's at minus 175. All Quiet in the Western Front, plus 175. After that, Fableman's not going to win. John Williams, 53 nominations. Only five Oscars. Do it in the playoffs. Banshees of Inish Sharon and everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm going to go with Babylon. Justin Hurwitz has won before. The Academy likes him. I think he, he won for a previous Chazelle movie. It's probably La La Land. And I did love the Babylon story. The Babylon, again, it got crushed by the reviews. People as the audiences was a huge bomb. But just the music alone, great jazzy score. Wouldn't be surprised if it's all quiet on the Western Front. I'm going to say it will be Babylon. I think it should be the winner. Best original song. Easy. Not to, not to. RRR. Pretty big upset here, right? You got Lift Me Up, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hold My Hand, Top Gun Maverick with Lady Gaga. Applause, Tell Like a Woman. I'm like, God, big names here, Rihanna. But I think it's not too, not too. Because so far, it's been kind of the feel-good favorite. Minus 430. Best makeup and hairstyle. We've got three more to go. I think it's The Whale. Like, Brendan Fraser's, they made him look 600 pounds in the movie. It's unbelievable. I think it's going to Best fat win. suit. Yeah, a great fat suit. Yeah, best fat suit goes to The Whale. Minus 120. Elvis is there, though. Plus 110. If it's not The Whale, it's going to be Elvis. I think it's The Whale. I think it should be The Whale. Batman's also in the mix. Plus 1400. Colin Farrell, unrecognizable in that movie. Two more to go. Best production design. Again, Babylon was crushed. But this is pretty impressive to make a film set 100 years ago. I mean, it's got some beautiful sets. I think Babylon wins. It is the favorite. Minus 225. But watch out for Elvis. Again, plus 333. It's not going to be Avatar. Avatar's not going to win an Oscar, I don't believe. I I mean, I think actually, you know what? Visual effects. It's going to win for visual effects. That's the one Oscar it's going to get. But I don't see it winning for production design. And best film editing. This is oftentimes, not always, a precursor to what wins best picture. I think it's going to be everything, everywhere, all at once at minus 195. And to be honest, if I had to pick a winner, it would be that. If you watch the movie, there's like a, a million cuts in that movie. It's fantastic. Um, I, I think it's going to be everything, everywhere, all at once because it What's really is. What's Banshees in that 
Banshee's category. at plus 1,900, so that's definitely in the mix. Elvis and Tar is there as well. Banshee's at plus 1,900, but it's not, it's hmm. not an editing Plus 19 is a long shot. <laughs> Might be your boy crew. Top Gun Maverick, plus 175. Again, if you like Top Gun, you say, yeah, it was great editing. I like the, the aerial sequences. So Top Gun has a chance of winning, but again, I think everything ever all at once, I'm not kidding. It's an editing feat. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. There's all your Oscar picks. Once again, uh, we will recap it next week. I texted my buddy Ben Lyons, of course. Ben and I covered the Oscars twice. He's very busy. He does a morning show now on Amazon Sports. It's called Bonjour. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, a little French style there. So I texted. I said, we're good next week. He's like, I can do it at 11 a.m. So me and Cody and Ben Lyons will give our uh, Oscars recap next week right here on Cinephile. One more film, The Wild Bunch. I wish Chris had seen it. I know Greg Cody has seen it. It's a hell of a movie. I'll start with this. Because is it actually of... good? No, dude, you'd love it. I'm telling you right now, if you saw it, I would have gotten a... I'm going to get a text from you in the next two weeks of you quoting some <laughs> scenes. I'm like, yeah, now he's watching The Wild Bunch. <laughs> Here's the preamble. During a screening in New York, Sam Peckinpah, the director, he invited Jay Cox of Time Magazine to go see the film. Jay Cox was a former film critic. Who did Jay Cox bring? Who was he tight with? Martin Scorsese. They sat in an empty Warner Brothers screening room. Only two other critics, Judith Christ and Rex Reed. The final scene, which is what is so famous about this film, it's like 20 minutes of action. It's just insane. That final scene knocked them out of their seats. Recalled Scorsese, we were mesmerized by it. It was obviously a masterpiece. It was real filmmaking, using film in such a way that no other form could do it. It couldn't be done any other way. To see that in an American filmmaker was so exciting. Cox remembered he and Scorsese literally turned to each other at the end of the movie and were stunned. We were looking at each other, shaking our heads like we had just come out of a shared fever dream. That is the Wild Bunch, baby. An aging group of outlaws looking for one last big score as the traditional American West is disappearing around them. It is not surprising John Wayne hated the movie because he said it completely demythified what the West is all about. Like the West, you have all these great archetypes and it's so romanticized. And the Wild Bunch is like, no, no, we're going to show you the way this really was. You guys are not good guys. These guys are thieves. They're, they're whoremongerers. They're bad people. And those are the good people. And the bad people, they're bad too. Like enough of this uh, whitewashing of what it looks like. Like Wayne's exact quote was, the film destroyed the myth of the Old West. I'm like, well, yeah. But Sam Peckinpah said, I'm going to make a movie that's more realistic, and that's part of the greatness of The Wild Bunch. If you say Westerns, you already have this image of you know, the white hat and the black hats and the Indians and the Mexicans, etc., but not in this hands. In The Wild Bunch, you're really kind of blurring the lines between who is good and who is evil, and there's lots of great stories about the film. In an interview, Ben Johnson said in one scene, the Mexican women who are frolicking with him in Warren Oates, they got these huge wine vats, they weren't actresses. There were prostitutes from a nearby brothel. Just so Sam Peckinpah, the director, could tell people, hey, Warner Brothers played for those hookers for the show. <laughs> Peckinpah is an unbelievable director. Like This is a guy, incredibly, was not nominated for Best Director. Only had one nomination from the Oscars, and it was for the script. It was for the script of The Wild Bunch, originally written by another guy. Peckinpah came in and wrote it up. The original writer goes, you know what? You actually did a lot of stuff on this. You should get credit for this. So they made sure, through the Oscars, he got approved for writing credit. That's the one nomination for The Wild Bunch, not for directing. But if you know anything about action movies, you know the name Sam Peckinpah. The first time I heard his name, the Dennis Leary song, Asshole. Remember at one point he starts listing all the people he loves. He goes, I'm going to get John Wayne and Lee Marvin and Sam Peckinpah. I'm like, yeah, Sam Peckinpah. Because Peckinpah was this man's man, hard-drinking, tough guy. How tough was he? During the course of this movie, he would drove his crew so hard, he fired 22 people off the set. 22 <laughs> people. Like, it's insane. If you weren't getting the job done, Peckinpah's like, that's it. You want out, you're out. And he had such care when it came to how the movie would be done. 
According to producer Phil Feldman, Sam had no compassion for a guy with a job who had a family at home who makes a mistake. That wasn't his concern. Sam had no tolerance for that. He had no understanding of a mistake that the guy made that is correctable after all. He was volatile, and if a guy committed a mistake on the set or elsewhere, he was ready to jump on him, and that's too bad. Now, Ernest Borgnine, Academy Award winner from Marty, he says that he actually enjoyed working with Peck and Boss. He said he was pretty good with the cast. He said he was very tough on the crew, hard drinker, definitely an alcoholic, but only drank like on the days off. Because it wasn't like he showed up drunk on set. He was actually quite a professional. But then there's conflicting stories. There's also another story of a Borgnine saying he promised to beat the shit out of Peckinpah if the director didn't give him a break because the throat-clogging <laughs> dust was affecting his breathing on set. Uh, William Holden at one point threatened to walk off the set because Peckinpah was so abusive of the crew. And this story Ben Mankwitz told on TCM. Robert Ryan asked for a few days off so he could go campaign for Senator Robert Kennedy. I don't know if Peckinpah was a Republican. Maybe he just didn't like Kennedy or just was all about the movie. He goes, you can't go. Robert Ryan goes, okay. The next 10 days, he showed up in costume and makeup, and Peckinpah was sending a statement, did not shoot any scenes with him. By day 11, Robert Ryan went over to Peckinpah and goes, I'm a professional on set. You ask me what to do, I'm going to do it. You do this one more time, I'm going to knock the teeth out of your mouth. Like, we, <laughs> like we're just going to have a blow here. So as violent as the movie is, there were so many stories of off the scene as well. But you've never seen a film with violence like this. And really, the word for it is balletic. You watch me, there's so much slow motion in this film. It's the first time you really saw slow motion used in a movie. And it's so balletic. It feels like ballet. Um, it's incredible. It's all about the editing. The original release print, 3,643 cuts. That's more than any other Technicolor film ever processed. Some of these cuts are near subliminal, consisting of three or four frames, making them almost imperceptible to the naked eye. Peckinpah said his goal was, I want this film to give the audience some idea of what it's like to be gunned down. I want to be able to show that. Before, all gunshots in Warner Brothers movies sounded the exact same, regardless of the weapon being fired. Peckinpah insisted on each different type of firearm having its own specific sound effect when it was fired. Uh, and there's some beautiful scenes in there as well. There's a great scene. Ernest Borgnine and William Holder are sitting by the campfire, and they basically say, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was hard for Peckinpah to call cut because he was crying. So you've got these guys who are real anti-heroes going up against this Mexican general, which I'll get to in a second. He's a real piece of work. Um, Robert Ryan, that's story I told you about the fact he wanted to fight Peckinpah. He was complaining so much on set that he wasn't getting top billing. Peckinpah got him back. Lesson to all actors, honor folks, the producers, the directors always have last cut. In the opening credits, after he'd freeze in a close-up of William Holden or Ernest Borgnine, when it got to Robert Ryan's name, he froze on a shot of several horses' rear ends. Like So imagine you see Billy Gill. There's Billy's face. Mike Ryan. Mike Ryan says, Chris Cody, bunch of horses' asses. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, 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 that's how I'm going to get you back. This is the kind of guy Peckinpah is. It really builds up to that last scene, though. I mean, again, it's a Western. These guys are pissed. They're stealing some money. They're trying to get back at this Mexican general. The last sequence, though, you're just not prepared for it. I mean, it leads up with this famous last walk sequence. Originally, they're going to leave this whorehouse and then cut to a confrontation with Mapache, the general. But instead, one of the many extras had kind of said, okay, let's lengthen this scene. The assistant director said, we'll keep them in frame. Peckinpah had this depth of field lens, had the effect of keeping people in the frame. So it was in sharp focus as the bunch walked forward. Here's the numbers I want you to remember. When you talk to your dad next time, say, I didn't have this to say. Excluding the start and end credits, the film contains about 2,721 edits and about 138 minutes of action. That equates to an average shot length of three seconds. Now, the shootout at Bloody Porch, this incredible action sequence, last one in the movie, 325 edits and about five minutes of action. That means an average shot length of slightly under one second. 
That is insanity. To me. <laughs> like that, that type of dedication. One second. One second. One yeah. second. One second. We're cutting here. We're cutting here. We're cutting here. Like, oh my god. Oof. It's one of the many reasons why I could never be a filmmaker. I just I don't have the patience. That's why I love broadcasting. One take, you screw up. Let's just move on. Directing you know, <laughs> hundreds of takes. It's insane. Um, a thought here on the, the general because Borgnet said he was an odd guy. Someone goes, well, in what respect? He said, well, he's playing the villain in the movie, and his way of hanging out like after we were done shooting was just odd. And then someone asked him, he goes, what do you mean odd? He goes, he liked to hang out with 14-year-old girls and go to the bar and get drunk, and we're pretty sure he'd killed a man before. A- apparently, he was shooting a film in Mexico at the time. Things did not go well. And he swears that he killed two people. I believe the assistant directors in the film. This is the man playing the villain in the movie. Clearly somebody you would not want to mess around with. 80 days of shooting. Film took place in 1913. Forget about me. What do the critics say? <laughs> Number six on the American Film Institute list. Ten greatest westerns of all time. The top 100 films of all time. American Film Institute. They had it at number 79. Um, it's obviously a film that's been lionized by many people. I'm sure Tarantino loves it. Uh, Perrin Peckinpah himself wrote a letter to Charlton Heston. He said, this film might turn out to be reasonably good. And afterwards, he said, of all the projects <laughs> I've ever worked on, this is the one that is closest to me. Of course, William Holden's so great in network. Didn't want to wear a mustache. Sam Peckinpah said, you got to wear a mustache. Eventually, he goes, all right, pencil-thin mustache, very similar to Peckinpah. And again, it goes back to the violence. 239 rifles, shotguns, revolvers, and automatics, and over 90,000 rounds of blank ammunition. More than was used in the entire Mexican Revolution, is what the Warner Brothers people said. 333,000 films. It's crazy. I want to clean up what I said earlier. Emilio Fernandez. This is the exact quote. Borgnine confessed Emilio Fernandez was a hell of a man. When he went to bars or restaurants, he often brought 14-year-old girls with him, was drunk most of the time, and always carried two guns and a belt. His offensive sentences and behavior made his friends very uncomfortable with good reason. While directing a film in Mexico, he got into an argument with two of the film's producers and shot and killed them both. This is The Wild Bunch. Uh, it includes four <laughs> Oscar winners out of the six members of the gang, William Holden, Ernest Borgnan, Edmund O'Brien, and Ben Johnson as well. It's a great, great film. A couple blurbs here. Uh, Roger Ebert wrote a great retrospective. You check it out. It's on the great movies list. Um, but it's definitely a film which, uh, again, if you like film history and films that are very impactful, it's big. Um, not everyone loved it, though. Reviews are pretty tough at the time. Due to the Christ of New York Magazine, if you must see The Wild Bunch, be sure to take along a barf bag. People did, people did not like the violence in this film. Peter Stack, he nailed it. San Francisco Chronicle. A true cinematic touchstone. This film has influenced a generation of movie makers, from Scorsese to Tarantino to Hong Kong action king John Woo. Nailed it. And Ebert, seeing this restored version is like understanding the film at last. It makes all the difference in the world. That is The Wild Bunch. I just saw it on TCM. I'm sure it's available streaming, HBO Max, etc. Make sure you check it out. To recap, Creed 3, three and a half Maple Leafs. Great film right out of the gate. I'm giving The Wild Bunch four Maple Leafs. It's one of my favorite films. It's certainly one of the best westerns I've ever seen. And again, we gave our Oscar predictions. Next week here on Cinephile, we are going to have our predictions. Next week, not our predictions. We're going to have the recap. Me, Ben Lines, and Chris Cody telling you all you need to know about the Oscars. Hopefully no slaps this time around. You deserve a medal for your performance today. You've had people, you're at MLB Studios today. You've had people coming in, waving to you. You're multitasking, people handing you things. People don't even know 
But I've I've observed a performance today. That's I hope you Bill Pito, I'm about to welcome in. Bill Pito, 15 years at ESPN, MSG yes. host. Come on in, Billy. Bill is now in, uh, working with us here at NHL Network. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to Pito right now. I'm trying to get Pito some more work here. You're on Cinefile right now. Can someone explain to me everything, anywhere, all at? What was that movie called? <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. Can you guys explain to me? I I had my daughter got it. My wife and I did not. Are you guys good on that or not? <laughs> Perhaps it's a generational issue for the pedos, but but I. And also, what was the one with Olivia Wilde and uh, uh, Harry Styles? What was that oh, called? That but that was a confusing. I I I, I don't know. I don't. Gotta, gotta, <laughs> I have to Wikipedia the plot on all these things all the time. <laughs> Some of these films tough to figure out, but. Bill Pito, all in on the Knicks right now. Winners of nine straight. Let's go, yes. Knicks. More Pito coming up on NHL Network. We'll see you at the movies. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.